All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. If you are uh, new here, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, who takes up a large portion of this story, the Acts of the Apostles. And um, so Paul has gone on a missionary journey with some friends. It was a big success. He came back, uh, rested up a bit, and now he's going back out. He's on his second missionary journey here. And uh, what he runs into in verses 6 through 10 are a bunch of no's, a bunch of, bunch of God-closing doors. And so we're going to take a look at that together. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 9. And they went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you graciously teach us? Would you change our minds wherever necessary? Convict us where we are wayward or numb. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and build us up and excite us and give us a passion and an enthusiasm for your will. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace of patience and stillness wherever we need it. God, we're praying that you would draw every single person here close to Jesus today. In his name, we pray together. Amen. All right, so I know you've said this before. You've said this. You've said it out loud. I, I rarely say I know everyone here has done anything, but I know this one. Everyone here has said at some point, what am I supposed to do now? Right? You've said that. What am I supposed to do now? You say it in different ways. What am I supposed to do now? Sometimes you're freaking out and you're throwing things. What am I supposed to do now? We say that, like, what am I supposed to do now when our plans have fallen apart, when our expectations have been absolutely crushed and we don't exactly know what our next steps are supposed to be? It happens for different reasons, right? Sometimes it's through self-sabotage. Sometimes, like, you've boxed yourself into a corner through bad decisions and sins. You've boxed yourself into a corner and now you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. Other times, it's just been things outside of your control. You're like, I made plans. I put together a strategy. I invested our time and money. And I, all, all this, I had the green light from all my friends. This looked like a great thing. And now it's all come to nothing. What am I supposed to do now? And in that situation, when, when we really feel like we're at a loss, oftentimes there is this thought, right, this, this desire. If God would just give me a sign... If God would just give me a sign, then I would know what I'm supposed to do right now. If God would just whisper into my ear or, or make something happen, a dream, a vision, something, I'd be good. I'd have direction. And we all know. I know what it's like to feel adrift, wandering, just floating, not knowing what we're supposed to do next because of missed opportunities or closed doors or whatever. I know what it's like to want God to show up in a big way 
and to make things plain. But God has already given us something better than a dream, more clear than a sign. He has given us his word, his word. It is clear, it can be known, and we have free access to it. And so here, here's the principle I want you to hold on to, right? It's really, it's a question. Usually we, in our preaching here, we give you a sermon summary. It's a, it's a brief summary of what the main thing is that we're discussing. Today, I want to turn it into a question. And really, this is a question that you should ask every time you read God's word or listen to a, a sermon. But here's what I'd like you to consider as we're walking through this passage. It's a statement and a question. God is calling you today. How will you respond? God is, in fact, calling you specifically today. How will you respond? I broke down this passage into two sections, right? Verses 6 and 7, when God says no. Verses 8 through 10, when God says go. Yes, I'm that clever. Rhymes, everything. I do that about once a year. Won't try it again. When God says no, when God says go. It's a little cringy to me right now, but the truths are good. The truths are good. When God says no, sometimes God says no. He says no to our plans, our strategies, our investments, our desires, right? We see this in verses six and seven. You know, much like Paul, like we oftentimes dream. We have a big dream and we have a plan. We have desires that lead to goals, that lead to strategies, that lead to investment in time and money. And sometimes, after all that, the answer is nope. No. God just says no. He shuts it down. And this is something that we have to learn, right? And I, and I think we know this. Most Christians understand this principle, right, that, uh, that we, can, you know, we can make plans, but God is ultimately in charge. We know this, right? It's, it's Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So, like, we know this doctrinally, right? We know this. Like, okay, so I'm going to plan my way. Planning is good. Planning is not bad. We should plan ahead. We should look ahead. And so the, we will plan our ways, but it's the Lord that will ultimately decide. He has final say. We, we know this, and yet oftentimes when it actually happens, when God says no and shuts it down, the thing that we've been loving, longing for, working towards, when God says no, we are just heartbroken. This, we see it happening with Paul here, really, in a sense, right? Because like in, in verse 6, we see that Paul is headed southeast, right? He's going to this, this, this part of, of Asia, probably Ephesus. That's where he's headed, right? So he, he's, he's going southeast, and what does it say? Went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wow, Okay. So that was his plan. He had a plan to speak the word, to preach in Asia, right, this western part of Asia, and uh, God said no. This, the Holy Spirit shut it down. So what does he do? He says, okay, let's go north. I want to go north. I know where I want to go. He's got people in mind. You know, the, the, Paul's whole plan, he says, it's Paul, and he's got Silas, he's got Timothy, he's got, he's got his people with him, and they want to go and visit these places that they've been to, that they've preached the gospel at, started churches. So they have this burden to go to specific places, and so he says, all right, let's go, let's go north to Bithynia. 
And what happens there? He attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Spirit of Jesus. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, same thing. Holy Spirit has various titles, just like the Son and the Father, right? Many titles uh, that go to one person. And so the Holy Spirit shut it down again and again. We have two examples here. In other words, God is frustrating the plans of the Apostle Paul. That's what's happening. That's not controversial. God is frustrating the plans of the Apostle Paul because sometimes God has to step in and frustrate our plans to stop them, even if they're good, even if we think that they are beautiful and complementary to the gospel. God oftentimes will step in to shut things down. He's frustrating their plans. Now, what Paul doesn't know while this is happening is that God is actually leading him somewhere. It's not that God is just saying, nope, don't like that one. Nope, don't like that one. The point is, is that God has a plan, a predetermined plan. He's like, I'm going to send Paul and his homies over into Europe. I want them to go to Europe. And so I'm going to block and set things up so that they wind up there. Now, Paul doesn't know this at the time. All he knows is that God is saying no. It's all he, he knows. And he knows it's God. That's why he says it's the Holy Spirit. Now, how is, how is God saying no specifically? Like, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but how? Like, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Is the Holy Spirit speaking, speaking to Paul specifically? He can hear it in his mind. He's like, no, don't go. Is it like that? Is it, is it more like a prophecy where somebody is like filled with the Spirit and then they prophesy? Or is it Providence. Is God just shutting opportunities down so it's no longer possible? And Paul just knows, like, ah, this is the spirit at work telling us that we can't go. Truth is, we have no idea how the Holy Spirit communicates that this is a no-go to Paul. We don't know how. We only know that. We don't know how God is saying no. Only that God is saying no. And why would God say no? What's wrong with going to Ephesus? Well, what's, what's wrong with going north? Is it that these people are unworthy of Jesus? Because they are unworthy of Jesus, right? We're all unworthy of Jesus. None of us are worthy of Jesus. Are, are these people particularly bad? No, listen, we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all rebels. None of us are worthy of God's compassion, grace, and kindness. That's what makes God so gracious and amazing is that he gives it anyways. So why, why is God saying no? But the truth is, is we don't know. We don't always know. In fact, most of the time, we don't know why God says no to us. You know, like, I know if you're like me, I care less about the what, I care less about the how, the why. That's the thing that, like, comforts me. I don't have to know all the details, but if you could just tell me why, Lord, I, then I'll be okay. If I could just, you just tell me the why. Tell me what your reasoning is, as if he owes that to me. And then I'll accept it, and then I'll be able to just roll with it. But that's not humility at all. That's arrogance, demanding an answer, demanding God to give me some kind of accounting for his decisioning. Instead, it ought to be a rather radically different response when God says no. He says no to everybody. And we don't know why. What we do know is that God is good. That's what we know. That God is good and that his plans are good. In fact, that his plans are better than our plans. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, 
God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In other words, you might have great plans. You might get confirmation in the multitude of wise witnesses. You can have everything together. This could be beautiful, and I may have something better for you. Better doesn't mean more pleasant. Better doesn't mean more money. But better means better for you, and you have to trust me, God says. You're not always going to want to, you're not always going to be able to know why God is saying no to you. And I know that it is painful when he does. He says it to me too. I find it rather frustrating when God frustrates my plans. And I think honestly, if we got the why, most of the time, it's going to be less than satisfying. See, it's not the why that ultimately calms the heart and moves us to submit to his rule. It's the who. It's who he is. He is good. His plans are better than our plans. His ways are, are better than ours. So if we understand that, then we can say, OK, God, I know your plans are good. My plans, I thought my plans were good, but I know your plans are good, better even. So whatever you've got going on, I'm going to submit to that. And it's a good, it's, it's a good idea for us to say to ourselves, OK, how is God saying no to me right now? Because more than likely, he is. God says no a lot, not because he is a stingy, uh, neglectful parent. He's not that kind of a father. He's a good, generous father. He gives liberally. He, he loves us. But he knows what's best. And we have crazy hearts that desire all kinds of things. We like to come up with plans. So God has to shut them down when they're not right for us. Is God saying no to you? Of course he is. Some of you can identify it right away. Yes, he's saying no. And then you have that person in your life, the super wise person, the person who has the answers. And they say to you, well, you know, whenever God closes a door. No, stop it with that. Just please. He opens a window. Um, here's the thing. Sometimes God closes a door and then boards up the windows just to keep you in the house because you're a menace to yourself and other people. Sometimes you need to shut up and sit still and stop trying to get out of where God has put you. Or maybe you're trying to get into the house and he doesn't want you in there. So he says no. Sometimes he blows the house down. Sometimes he takes it away. God might, listen, God might provide a window. Uh, but listen, more importantly than this, like, okay, when God closes a door, here's, here's the thing to really keep in mind. When God closes a door, he knows what he's doing. You don't. When God closes the door, he's like, hey, listen, don't go in there. That's not, that's not good for you. I'm going to keep you out of that at least for now. God says no. How are you responding? Like, how do I respond? When God says no to me, I'll tell you exactly how I respond. Upset. Don't like it. When God says no to me, and it's not a sinful thing. I kind of know. Like, if I'm trying to do something bad, you know, having bad thoughts or whatever, and God says no, I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. I got it. But when I've got a good plan, I have a good expectation, a healthy expectation, when I'm putting something out there, when I'm planning for it, and then God says no, my first response is anger. It's frustration. How dare you? Like, don't you understand? Why would you interfere with this? My plans are so good. Obviously, obviously better than yours, God. I mean, I don't say that, but that's the implication. It goes from anger it can go from anger, and then it can go to apathy, right? God says no, then what? what fine, oh, whatever. I'm not doing anything then. Got to say no to this. I guess what's the point in trying in anything? Apathy is a super common response. Again, it comes from the same self-centered, proud heart that anger does. Oh, not my way? Then no way. I don't want to get involved at all. 
I don't want to do it. Anger and apathy and resistance and bitterness and rebellion. God says, no, we have so many bad ways that we are likely to respond instead, instead of responding like we should. Right? When God says, no, our response should be submission. Right? It should be, OK, I don't like it, <laughs> but I love you and I trust you, so I'm going to submit. Right? That, that comes from a posture of meekness where you actually see God for who he is and understand who you are, made for what God has in store for you. And so you calm yourself down in the midst of this disappointment. When God says no, what we really need is patience. God says no. Listen, when God says no, that doesn't mean he's not active in your life. When God says no, that means he is active in your life. He's participating. He's, he's getting close. He's drawing near. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to do that. We think the opposite. We think like, oh, God says no. I guess I'm on my own. That's, that's the opposite. God is in your life saying, no, I'm right here with you, and I don't want you to go that way. I know that you had high expectations, or maybe it's even fair and good that you would normally get this, but I'm going to say no for now because I'm taking you somewhere different, somewhere that you would not expect. And you can't experience what I have in store for you if you go this way or if you have this thing, this experience. When God says no, it is still, it is still a call to obey. It's a call to submit. It's a call to be patient. It's a call to wait. So God says no. God also says go. We see this in verses 8 through 10 with the Apostle Paul in the, the Macedonian vision, the Macedonian call. If you have been a Christian for, I would say, five years or more, you've heard churches and Christians talk about the Macedonian call, the Macedonian vision. It's a very big deal. Right? We, like this. we like this story, and we look for this experience in our own lives. What does it say? So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. The Macedonian vision. Here's what happens. God is like, block, you're trying to go there? Nope, no, I'm not going to go there. Paul changes directions. God's like, block, not going up there either. I want you to go over here. He's pushing them towards Europe. And so they get to Troas, and God makes it very clear. He gets Paul's attention by giving him a vision, and it's a great vision. It's an awesome vision because it is short and simple and impossible to misunderstand. Sometimes visions are like, it's a wheel, and it's on fire, and it's in the sky. I'm like, I've, like what we, okay, I need, you need an interpreter, you need ancient books, you need elders, you need all kinds of stuff. This vision, this is like visions for dummies. This is like the most awesome, basic vision. Here's the vision. It's a dude. Not even like some crazy, it's just a guy, and the guy's standing there, and he's saying, hey, Paul. Come on, we need your help. That's, that's the whole vision. It's the most basic, boring vision ever. I love it. It's, it's as if God wants us to be the most plain and obvious vision of all times because he wants to get Paul's attention. Come to Macedonia. Come over to this, this part of Eastern Europe. And, and I know that wasn't the plan, but I really want you to, to get here and I want you to be preaching the gospel. And then it's always fun because you find these guys that are like, Let's discuss who this man is in the vision. Who's the man? We don't know. He is nobody. It's a vision. The man is nobody. 
and he's everybody. I mean, he's everybody in Macedonia who God has been preparing to hear the gospel. He's everybody in Macedonia who is hungry for spiritual truth as the Spirit has been preparing people. He's nobody specific, but he's everybody who's spiritually needy, ready to respond to the gospel that they're going to hear when Paul gets there. This is the Macedonian vision. Paul knows, oh, this, now I know where we're supposed to go. Thank you, making it clear. Boom, let's do it. And this usually leads to a discussion among a lot of Christians. Like, what about visions? Are visions for today? Does God give people visions? Uh, I'm going to make this really, really quick, okay? Uh, number one, uh, visions throughout Scripture, you see visions, Old Testament, New Testament, visions were never common. They weren't all the time sort of regular occurrences. Uh, very few people experienced God-given visions. And when we do, we read about them. They were, they were pivotal in moving the story of redemption, right? The, the continued unfolding revelation of God, who he is, his plan, the gospel itself. So visions were never common to begin with, important, critical even, but never common. They were uncommon. Number two, Visions were oftentimes used to carry along the, the revelation of God and his plan, but the revelation of God is now complete in the word of God. We have all of God's word. We have Old Testament, New Testament. We have 66 books by over 40 authors. We have a complete canon that is the very word of God. And because the canon is complete, we know that revelation no longer continues, at least not in the same way that it did. We read about this in Hebrews, right? Hebrews says that um, you know, in the past, God had revealed himself through prophets and, and signs and wonders and all of these things. But in these last days, he has revealed himself in Jesus, right? Christ is the final revelation. And so now the, the revelation has been given to us in Christ and in the scripture, we have a complete picture. There is uh, in the 1689 or the Second London Confession of Faith, the very first chapter, the very first article and paragraph tells us the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge and faith and obedience, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will, which is necessary unto salvation." Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare his will unto his church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the mouths of Satan and the world, to commit the same holy unto writing. That's our book. Which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, the former ways of God revealing his will unto his people be now ceased. So God no longer reveals himself in these dramatic, miraculous ways. There's no continued revelation of God. We have it in creation, and we have it in Scripture. Okay, okay, but can God still give dreams and visions? Well, sure, he's God. He, God can give dreams and visions. I'm not going to say that he can't. Okay, does God give dreams and visions? And my answer is probably, yeah. Probably. I mean, we, we, ha we have too many accounts of, of people in lands very far away from us and very far away from the gospel. We're talking about unreached people groups. We have too many accounts of, of people that have had visions of strangers coming and bringing this message 
of God who loves, who suffers, dies, and is risen from the grave. It's as if they, they get these visions, they, and it's, it's not, again, it's not super common, but it does happen. It's happened enough that we have records of it. So when missionaries get there, they're like, we've, been ha- we've had this dream, and we've been talking about it forever, that, that the Son of God is going to come here and is going to save us. And so what do we do with that? Do we say, like, okay, well, the options are they're telling the truth, or they're lying, or the devil is tricking them. Thanks for the assist, Satan. You're terrible at your job because you are the worst. You are the worst at deceiving the nations. You're, you gave them a, a false vision about a God who loves them and sends his son to die for them. Like, that's kind of messed up. So listen, these visions are not revelation that are on par with Scripture. If, somebody, if God on a rare occasion gives somebody or some people a, a dream, it is an assist. It is to point them in a particular direction, perhaps. But like any vision, it really can't be understood until after the fact. That's when it's really known. But here's the truth. Most people, and I would say all of us, do not need visions or dreams. You don't need those because you have the word of God. You have God's word, like his word. It's not a religious book. It's not something to dissect and debate. It is God's word. Psalm 19 says this about the scripture, using different metaphors for scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. We have God's word, and it is enough. But we want dreams. We want visions. We want voices. We want the dramatic, because we think that we, would eat, that we ourselves would be more persuaded, that our faith would be stronger if God did such things. But I assure you, your faith will be just as weak with hearing the voice of God as it is when you read the word of God if you aren't willing to receive or believe the latter. Martin Luther, who was, he had a lot of crazy experiences. This guy, you know, argued with the devil. Martin Luther, a German monk, converted, preaching the gospel. And uh, he had some crazy experiences, like really crazy experiences, spiritual warfare and whatnot. And here's what he had to say about visions. He says, though an angel should come and appear before mine eyes from heaven, yet it would not add to my belief. For I have my Savior, Christ Jesus, bond and seal. I have his word. I have his spirit and his sacrament. And thereon I depend and desire no new revelations. Luther understood in the midst of being one of the most pivotal figures in church history after the apostles, what God has given him is enough. When God calls you to go, his word is enough. How is God calling you to go? I mean, anytime there's a, there's a calling, right, a calling to go, it's a simply it's a call to obey. 
It's a call to obey. It, and, and he is calling you. Let's be really clear about this. God is calling you today, you specifically. Take that personally. God is calling you today to believe and to repent. He's calling you to believe in him, to believe him when he speaks, to believe his word, to take him at his word. I mean, the, one of the most famous, at least it used to be the most famous verse most Americans knew, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just that God wants you to obey his commands. It's that God wants you to believe so that your obedience stems from a heart that loves. So yes, God is calling you. He's calling you to a bunch of different things all at once. I know it. And it's a call to believe. What are you going to do? He's calling you to repent, to acknowledge, to acknowledge the corrupt, evil things that you are preferring in your lives over God's ways. He's calling you to let them go, to hate them for what they are and what they've been doing to your life. He's calling you to turn away from that and to see the beauty of godliness, to, to see the joy of salvation, and to walk in his ways. He is calling you today to that. He's calling you to ministry. He calls every Christian to ministry in one form or another. You, we're called to minister to each other, to meet each other's needs, informally and formally. He's calling some of you to, to start ministering in the church formally through various ministries. He's, he's calling some of you to, to, to go and get more involved in the lives of your neighbors. And he will call some of you, and I believe he probably is calling some of you to go into vocational ministry, whether that's the pastorate, the missions, church planting, whether that's here or elsewhere. When God calls, how will you respond? I mean, we can see how Paul responds. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, I can do that math. That's really easy. That's, you got the easiest vision in the world. We've, we've concluded, after much thought and contemplation, that the man standing there in Macedonia saying, come to us, that we should go to him and those people. They're all, they're all real bright. So they're doing the right thing. They're going to go. By the way, who's going? We sought to go on into Macedonia. Who's writing? Luke. Luke was there. Luke's a part of this team. So Paul says, oh, this is what you want me to do? Let's go. It's not what I planned, but let's go. Knowing what God wants you to do, knowing what God has called you to do, to believe, to repent, to be obedient in any particular way. Knowing that is a gift. And he's given you his word so that you might actually know. How will you respond? Look, here's the thing. Every single person here is in the middle of God calling you, calling us to do something. Some of you are being told no. And you're mad. You're upset. I get it. I feel your pain. It's my pain, too. When God, call, when God tells you no, he is calling you to do something. In this case, he's calling you usually to wait, to be patient, to suffer well. This doesn't mean that God's inactive. He's very active. He says, no, not that. For now, trust me. Others of you are, 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 others of you are, are being told to go. Right? It's a command to obey. And you don't, 
You don't need a vision to see because you've got God's word to heed. I like that word, heed. Heed. We don't use that word very much. It means to pay careful attention to and to respond accordingly. We've got God's word everywhere, Bibles everywhere. We have Bibles, apps, online, free Bibles, under a chair, Bibles everywhere. And I think it's actually a problem. I think the fact that we have scripture everywhere has led most Christians to read it less. It shouldn't be. We wonder why we're so confused when we don't spend any time in God's word. But know this. God is very active in your life. Maybe he's saying no. He's definitely saying go in some context. Some of you need to be patient and wait. Wait for God. It doesn't mean wait to get what you want, but wait for God. And others need to get very active in obeying what God has called you to do positively in your life. In every case, it always includes drawing near to God through faith in Jesus. And I pray that we would all start there today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you teach us beyond what we know right now? Would you take what we have learned and would you cause it to produce fruit in our lives? Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to I want to become more like Christ. God, we pray that if we need to wait and be patient, that we would be humble in accepting that and listening to you. If it's time for us to go and, and to get moving, God, we pray that you would give us the strength, the earnestness that we need to, to persevere in that. But in everything, Lord, we're praying that your spirit, who sometimes doesn't allow us to move in one direction, would always compel us to follow you faithfully in whatever direction you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.